Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Let's continue our worship as we go, as we return to God's Word and read one of the four eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 28, begin reading in verse 1. There's some Bibles uh, in the pew backs or seat backs in front of you if you you do not have one. This is God's Word. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this uh, clear and resounding testimony of the resurrection of your son. We thank you that uh, you have preserved this record for us, along with three others that clearly proclaim that he is alive from the dead. Help us this morning to believe it. We know that we struggle with unbelief to believe the things that your word says, so we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit, and we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, earlier this week, some of you may have seen the news that, uh, the, the, of the possibility of a volcanic eruption here in the coffee region in Colombia. Um, before we moved to Colombia, I didn't know that there were earthquakes. I didn't know that there were volcanoes, uh, but... Surprise, here we are. Uh, Nevado de Ruiz last erupted in 1985, and when it erupted then, it killed 25,000 people in that region. Geologists over the past several weeks have detected uh, uh, increased seismic activity and tremors that indicate that the volcano could erupt any minute. Now, what do you do when a volcano is about to erupt? Uh, I don't know. 
the U.S. government sent out a communication to all of its employees that said, uh, if, 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 if you don't avoid that region, don't, don't, don't go there. And you're like, yeah, I know. It ruined my Semana Santa plans. Thank you very much. We were planning to go out there. The National Park is closed for visitors. Local schools have gone online. The families that live on the, uh, on the slope of the volcano, on the upper slope, have been evacuated. But regardless of how people have responded, one thing is absolutely clear. And that is that an event like that demands a response. It demands a response. A volcano eruption is so significant, so potentially life-altering, so potentially life-ending, that you cannot do nothing in the face of that news. In fact, even a response to do nothing, to say, well, we're just going to stay here and, and ride it out, is still a response that will have consequences if and when Nevado de Ruiz erupts. Well, the, the story of the Bible, the Bible is a, is a long story. And in the story of the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, like that we just read, is a similar type of event to the type of event that we just talked about with the eruption of a volcano. It's a, it was a public event. It was an event that occurred in real history. It wasn't a myth or a legend, or, uh, it, but, but an actual event that could have been reported in the news at the time, that could have been tweeted about if that existed at the time, could have been put on the internet. And really the rest of the Bible, after the four Gospels, is an extended uh, an account of what it means to respond to the resurrection. If you want to know what it means to respond to the resurrection, the rest of the Bible will tell you about that. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to consider our response to the resurrection. All of us respond to the reality of the resurrection every day. Whether you realize it or not, you respond to this truth even if you do nothing. And so it's not a question of whether you will respond to the resurrection, but how have you responded to the resurrection? So first what I want us to do is I want us to consider some of the common responses to the resurrection that, that you and I both know and that uh, are, are common in our day today. Well, one common response to the resurrection is just to explain it away. Uh, in the passage we read, and in the one that immediately precedes the one that we just read, we hear the Pharisees telling Pontius Pilate, the governor, to make sure that he has sufficient security set up around the tomb so that if the disciples decide to come, steal the body away during the night and run away with it and try to make up a big story about it, that he'll, he'll have plenty of, uh, of guns and muscle there to be able to scare them away. And in the, in the passage we read, we heard that that's exactly what happened, that the guards woke up, they saw the angel, just like the ladies who went to the tomb did, and uh, so they run off and they tell their bosses, they say, look, I want to keep my job, I don't want to get fired for having blown, my, uh, blown the one thing that I was supposed to do, and they say, don't worry about it, pay him a sum of money, say, hey, if, you, if it comes to the governor, we'll, we'll take care of it, we'll, we'll tell him you did your job, don't worry, you're not going to get in trouble, but they come up with an alternative set of facts to describe and to, and to account for the reality that they experienced. And people do this today as well. Some say, uh, well, Jesus' disciples, they, they wanted Jesus to rise from the dead so badly. 
It was something that he had told them about, and they just they wanted him to rise from the dead so badly, and so they, they dreamed that Jesus rose in their hearts, and so that's what they went. That was the message that they shared with the world, that Jesus rose in our hearts, and he can rise in your heart as well. Or some say, well, Jesus actually didn't really die. He, was, uh, he passed out from his ordeal uh, of being scourged and hung on the cross. He passed out. They put him in the tomb, and after two nights and a day, he woke up and, uh, and, and was just sort of resuscitated uh, back to consciousness. Well, the problem with, that, with those, that response to the resurrection is that those stories never match up with the, the facts as they exist on the ground. Um, the, it wasn't just the disciples that, uh, that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, but 500 other people saw Jesus alive in his body after he was raised from the dead. If you want to make up a story about something, the way to do it is got to keep the circle really tight of the people who know the truth. Because if you can keep the story tight and you can convince all of them, then you've you got a chance of convincing people. The way the way to blow your cover is to let 500 other people know about it. That's what Jesus did. He appeared to hundreds of other people. That was not the best way to say, well, he just rose in our hearts. People say, well, he must have risen in my heart too because I saw him and I ate breakfast with him and I shook his hand. Or what about the, what about the story that Jesus didn't really die? Well, if you were here Friday night, you read the account from Matthew of what he describes all, the, all that Jesus went to, the scourging and the beating and the crucifixion. And the thing is, the Romans were really good at crucifixion, right? They got the job done, and they'd been doing it for hundreds of years, and people didn't come off the cross alive. Even if they did, he spent two nights, entire day, no medical attention, no water, nothing and then all of a sudden woke up. That's, that's a more ridiculous story than even uh, a more unlikely story than, than the resurrection itself. So that's one common response, just explain it away. Another common response to the resurrection is just to act like it's really not all that important for the Christian faith. Uh, to believe that what really matters when it comes to following Jesus is his moral teaching. What really matters uh, when it comes to following Jesus is his example of how he loved other people. And even seeing the cross as sort of this example of that, uh, of that Jesus shows us how much he loves us. And whether he rose from the dead or not, I'm not sure, but it really doesn't matter. I can still have a relationship with God even if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. When I do membership interviews in the church, I'm always listening to, to see, is anyone going to mention the resurrection as one of the things that, that they hold as central to their faith. And I have to say, it's not a, whole lot of, not a whole lot of folks. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, and Christians are of all people to be most pitied. In other words, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all of his teaching, all of his example, all the love that he may have shown during his life are worthless. You're wasting your time here on Sunday morning. I'm wasting my entire life preaching to you about Jesus if he's not alive from the grave in his body. 
In fact, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead like he promised he would do, he's worse than insignificant. He's a fraud, and you ought not to believe anything that he ever said. And so we can't just dismiss the resurrection as something that's not very important for the Christian faith. It's, ab- it's absolutely central. But perhaps the most common response to the resurrection in our day is indifference. Indifference. In John's gospel, we read that uh, several of the disciples, the same disciples who uh, saw Jesus walk on water, who saw him calm storms, who saw him feed thousands of people with just a few loaves and fishes, you know what they did after the resurrection? They just went back to being fishermen. They're like, well, that was a weird three years of following Jesus, and Maybe he rose from the dead, maybe he didn't, but look, I've got a family to feed, I've got things to do, I've got a business to run, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out whether he did or didn't rise from the dead. Maybe that's you, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, look, I, I don't really want to commit either way, uh, I don't want to be really sure about it, I don't want to be super against it, but really whether Jesus rose from the dead doesn't really affect the things that I care about in life. You go on with normal life. And in some ways, being indifferent feels like a safer response than any sort of response where we land with any sort of security or assurance. Because, look, we don't want to commit too heavily on either side. But indifference is actually a much stronger position than we ever give it credit for. Elie Wiesel, who the Holocaust survivor, once wrote this, The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. The opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. Indifference says it doesn't matter whether Jesus rose from the dead. It's not important. It's not worth my time. Do any of these responses feel familiar to you? Maybe you just, you're here this morning and you haven't taken the time to think about whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe you explained it away as a sort of religious nonsense or a myth or just a metaphor for starting over in life that you'll use if you ever, ever need it, looking for inspiration. Maybe you just said, well, it's, it's not really that important in my relationship with God. I can still love God. I can still pray to him. I can still worship, even if Jesus never rose from the dead. But friends, all of our hearts are inclined to one of those responses to the resurrection. They're all inclined to one of those responses because if Jesus rose from the dead, if it's true, then it makes a clear and somewhat unsettling claim. And that is that on the other side of the grave, on the other side of death, there is a new world, a new physical world world beyond the world that we know now, and Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is the king of that new world. And that's unsettling because our response to Jesus now has eternal consequences for the world to come. So how should we respond to the resurrection? Let's look at the response of the first people who encountered it. Two women, Matthew tells us, Mary Magdalene and a woman he calls the other Mary. Uh, Mary was a very common name in the first century, and so uh, lots of Marys around, but this was likely Jesus' aunt. So 
his mother Mary's sister, they go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, which was a common custom uh, in, the, in the Jewish, uh, in, 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 uh, in the first century. Uh, by the way, if you want to invent a story that's going to convince a lot of people, you shouldn't pick women to be the first eyewitnesses. Uh, because in the first century, women's testimonies were considered to be unreliable. And so the fact that, that in all of the gospel accounts, women were the first ones to go to the tomb to discover the resurrection is actually a sign of its authenticity of, of each of these uh, accounts. But when they arrive at the tomb, they meet this angel who delivers uh, the news that, 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 that the Jesus that they are seeking is alive. And he then commands them to go and to tell the disciples And then in verse 8, we see their response. It says, They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. With fear and great joy. Those two emotions, I believe, encapsulate what our response to the resurrection ought to be. Fear and great joy. Fear. By fear which is a term that the Bible uses a lot to describe what people feel in the presence of God, uh, does not typically mean dread or being afraid of something, like you would be afraid of watching a horror movie or something like that. But fear is that sense that something very significant has just happened. This is not some trivial thing. This is something weighty that demands your attention. It's It's the antidote to the indifferent response to the resurrection it says no you can't be indifferent about this i remember feeling this kind of fear when i became a father for the first time uh, i had obviously had plenty of time to kind of get used to the idea of, of being a father um, but the moment our son was born they handed him to me and then especially the moment that the nurses and the doctors left the room for the first time i felt fear are they really going to trust me with this life? Shouldn't I have like a permit or a, a license or some sort of training that they put me through in order to make sure that this human being doesn't expire in the next week? Something very significant had happened in my life. It wasn't the next Netflix series that dropped. It was something that was significant, that was going to require new rhythms and new financial decisions, and, and, and everything was going to have to change in light of what just happened happened. I was going to have to change in light, of just, in light of what just happened to me. What little sense of control I felt over my life was now gone. And that's the kind of fear these women felt on that first resurrection Sunday. And it's the kind of fear that you and I ought to feel when we think about the resurrection. Why? Because the resurrection claims to solve the most significant and the most weighty problem that any of us are ever going to face in our lives. And that is the problem of death. The resurrection doesn't claim to solve your financial problems. It doesn't promise to make your life happier and easier or more prosperous. It doesn't guarantee to fix your relational issues or to save your marriage or to make your children more obedient or to fast-track your career somehow. But it does guarantee this in the words of Jesus himself, that whoever believes in Jesus, though he die, 
yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Jesus shall never die. Do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel the significance of that? If you feel that significance, then you know what it means to respond with fear. That sense that something important and holy is going on in these pages. But that fear in the hearts of these women was mixed up with something else, wasn't it? It was mixed with what Matthew calls great joy. Joy that their master and their teacher and their friend who they had spent the last three years with and who they had just witnessed be crucified and brutally executed just a couple of days before is now alive. Joy that all the things that Jesus had promised them during their life that seemed to be completely wrecked on Friday are now starting to come true. Joy that the kingdom that he preached, the kingdom of life, the kingdom of hope, the kingdom of righteousness that that we just heard through the Sermon on the Mount over the past couple of months, that that kingdom is now here, has now dawned. But I think there was one thing that the angel told them that brought them more joy than anything else. Then go and quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee And there you will see him. You will see him. Not you will feel his presence. Not you will hear his voice whisper through the trees. Not you'll you'll remember, you'll see something there that will cause you to remember Jesus. No, they said you will see him there. And we know that that brought them great joy because what do they do when they see Jesus? They fall down at his feet and they grab hold of him and they worship him. They worship him. These Jewish women who have been taught to worship only God, worship a human being now alive from the dead. The most painful thing about the reality of death is the sense that we will never see those we've lost ever again. We can remember and share stories about them. We can look at old pictures and watch old movies about them. We can hold and touch the things that they held and touched during their lifetime. If we're honest, those are just shadows of what we have when we have the person in front of us, that we can see, that we can touch, that we can feel. Just a week ago, my friend and colleague, Chad Scruggs, senior pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, uh, lost his only daughter, nine-year-old Hallie, along with two other nine-year-olds and three adults in the tragic shooting at her school. And I can't imagine a grief deeper. No darkness more profound than having a life cut short tragically. And some of you know that grief. You know that sense of permanent loss that accompanies the deaths of those we love. But friends, the resurrection of Jesus 
this promise that you will see him is a declaration to a grieving and dark world that death will not have the final word in the lives of God's people. That same promise that these two women heard moments after the resurrection, it's the same promise that holds true for you today, that if you put your trust in Jesus, you will see him. And you will see all those whom he will raise again from the grave. And on that last day, when Jesus returns to bring history to a close, you will see him there. You will bow your knee before him, and that day will be a day of great joy for those who trust him. It will be a day when you, too, somehow all of us, will be able to take hold of his feet, worship him. My friend Chad has understandably not spoken publicly very much since he lost his daughter. But in the one sentence that was published that he said, proud of him, because he demonstrated what it means to follow Jesus with fear and great joy. We are heartbroken, he said. She was such a gift. And through tears, we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. Heartbreak and tears, fear. Trust that she's in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. Great joy. Friends, if you don't know that great joy this morning, great joy knowing that you can be secure in the face of death. The great joy knowing that you too can have the hope of seeing Jesus and seeing all those who he will raise to life once again on the other side of the grave. The joy of knowing that you too can have that hope and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, put your trust in him and respond to the resurrection. Not with doubt, not with explaining it away, not with indifference, but with fear, and great joy. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the resurrection. Lord, we have many things in our life that are uncertain and shaky and changing and, and insecure. Most of all, ourselves. And we often try to build a life on those things, on the sands of this world that are always shifting. But Lord, death will take them all away from us. It will be the ultimate thing that will shake all of our lives. And it's a problem to which we have no solution until you came into the world in the person of your only begotten son, Jesus, and took on our human flesh, suffered death in our place, and destroyed it in the tomb, and now live forever, ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. Help us, Lord, to build our life upon that strong foundation. Help us, Lord, to, to continue to set our hopes on the life that is to come and not on the life that we can see now. Help us to have that life as our life, the life that is truly life. And give us the strength and the faith that we need to respond to the resurrection 
with repentance, faith, fear, and joy. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.